the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
I'm Dave Hawkinson. Welcome to the first edition of The Antidote for 2023. It's unreal. Another year come and gone. (laughs) I know, I know. I also said that on our wrap-up episode of 2022. But I just had to say it again. Tonight, The Antidote meets with Matt Langston, the frontman of the synth-pop band Eleventy-Seven. But we won't be speaking about that band. What we do get into is Fantasy League, the new project he's created with Scott Kerr of Five Iron Frenzy. And as you can tell from tonight's opening song, Lights Down Low, it's outstanding. Right now, let's bring in the really fun chat The Antidote had with Matt. Matt Langston is one half of the crew at Fantasy League, and he's meeting with The Antidote. Matt, thanks so much for coming. I'm so happy to be here, Dave. Well, you know, I guess uh, Fantasy League isn't all about Matt Langston. So why don't you tell us about your other band member? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So You remember uh, that you do have another band member, right? (laughs) Always. (laughs) Yeah, so Scott Kerr is the other half of Fantasy League. And folks would probably know him more from the band Five Iron Frenzy, who's an American ska punk band uh, that originated like late 90s. I grew up listening to Five Iron Frenzy. I was a huge fan of that band. And Scott and I started working on a project with a few of those different members of Five Iron Frenzy called The Fast Feeling uh, in like 2015. Yeah, Leonor Ortega Till. Yes, absolutely. I think you've had them on the show before. I did. So that was a really, really cool experience. And I think Fantasy League is a culmination of this sort of revenge of the nerds mentality of Scott and I. <laughs> God, Scott and Who's I Who's the love, bigger nerd? Yeah, I, well, I, gosh, I, I couldn't answer that honestly because I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, like Scott and I had so much fun working on that album together that we stayed in touch. We really hit it off. We became friends and kind of involved in each other's lives in that way. And it's so rare that you find someone that you connect with on a creative level to where you can both be creative at the same time. You can both be giving your best ideas at the same time. It's sort of a yes and situation where you're like, oh yeah, that's a fantastic idea. Like here's how we can make it better. Because a lot of times you get into a creative situation with bands where somebody needs to be the guy that gets credit for all the things mm-hmm. or some somebody needs to be controlling the room at all times. And Scott and I don't have that dynamic at all. It's just kind of like put us in a sandbox and we'll make something really cool together. Well, then how did the whole idea of Fantasy League come about? Who dreamt it up? Um, I think I would probably give that credit to Scott if I remember correctly. Most of the time I'm producing for a lot of other bands and writing for a lot of other projects. So it's very rare that I have the time to sit down, create an idea, send it to a friend, see what they think, you know, them send it back. And Scott doesn't work in music full time. So he has this whole a swath of time and creative energy to sort of put into his own demos and things like that. And I'm such a huge fan of Scott's writing and of his lyrics and the way that he thinks about music and his chord progressions. They're so different than what I would come up with. Mm-hmm. And so 
he sent me some demos over the course of maybe six or eight months. And he was like, hey, you know, would you be interested in doing something, you know, around these demos, maybe putting together a band or just creating something together and let's just see where it goes, but let's have fun. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I I feel like Fantasy League kind of came from that, just sort of that sandbox mentality of like, let me send my friends something that I think is really fun and see if they want to have fun with it too. Okay, so Matt, you were great at giving the background on Scott, but you failed to give us your music background. Tell us the bands you've been involved with. So around like 2006, a band that I was in called Eleventy Seven got signed to Flickr Records, which was Mm -hmm. a record label created by the guys in Audio Adrenaline. They basically came to us and and they were like, hey, we want to give you guys a record deal, but we know you're about to go to college. Uh, This could be a cool education in and of itself if you wanted to take a swing at the music industry. And of course, we were all from super rural parts of the States and there's not a lot of like upward mobility without moving to a bigger city. And all of us kind of grew up with these dreams of being able to do that. So it was sort of like somebody asking like, hey, would you like to live your best life now? And <laughs> so we took the opportunity and it introduced us to this whole underbelly and overbelly of the Christian music industry. And so we started out doing that. And started out writing a bunch of pop punk songs and touring with a bunch of bands and getting involved. I realized throughout my tenure there that I really loved producing and songwriting a lot more than I did the stress of sort of being on the road all the time. And so I eventually kind of moved into that position of just like producing and songwriting for other people. I love being in the studio. I'm a caveman at heart and It was really fun for me. So we had some cool experiences. We got to travel the world. We got to go to Canada, where you guys are, Germany, Japan, Sweden. I mean, it really afforded us the chance to see the world. I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities that that band has given us. And I still write and release music with Eleventy Seven to this day. And you're still missing one other project, Jelly Rocks. Yes. Uh, when Eleven D broke up in 2012, 2013, uh, I started my own solo synth pop project called The Jelly Rocks and had a whole lot of fun doing that. Did some touring. And then our bass player in the band, Davey, he and I kind of got together during like a family vacation. And I remember us being out in the ocean and just sort of chatting and talking. And we were like, man, we really miss just getting in a room together and making songs and having fun. And enough time had passed that all of the weird interpersonal things that we had gone through had kind of dissipated. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, why don't we just take another swing at it and just have some fun? Because we were, we're all doing, you know, other things for our primary jobs because I'm producing full time. Davey works for IBM. He's like a program developed for IBM and so it's so so much easier to have fun with music and enjoy those enriching parts of being in a band and having fun together when your entire economic reality is not dependent 
on whether or not something is successful to have a whole lot more fun. So, Because then there's no stress level. It literally is just doing it for fun. Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. That's how it should be. But I'm, I'm also the kind of person that, you know, no matter how fun something is, I'm going to bring a level of stress to it. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, we're all going to get together and have fun. And I'm like, okay, how long will the fun last? Do we have three hours? Okay, how do we maximize the three hours? Oh, gosh, oh. we're coming up on the three-hour mark. Like, what should we do to make sure that we're still having fun? So I'm, I'm a chronic overthinker in that way, and it's something that I'm, like, trying very hard to to work on myself, to just kind of accept what's happening and accept the joy. You know, when you're saying that, you're making me nervous to even to carry on this conversation. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because it perpetuates paranoia in other people. So, yeah, you're making my point. Every band has to begin somewhere, and as Matt said, the fast feeling was where he and Scott first connected. Off the Rails came from the Pulses release by the fast feeling. I found it pretty easy for this interview with Matt to also go off the rails, but I bring it back on track as we talk about the music style of Fantasy League 
and what's found on their song, Old Haunts. Fantasy League is really different from both really anything that you've been doing before and Scott too. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think some of the coolest parts of Five Iron are like the really fun sort of throwaway joke centric kind of musical moments that they have. And Scott Which is kind I of adore. like Exactly. I think so many people feel that way. And it's really fun and super cool. And I think that's what draws people to it or what drew all of us to it, you know, at, at a younger age, especially like in high school. I think that's super cool. The same thing could be said for Eleven D. You know, it's just this real raw sort of manic energy that gets put into songs and it resonates with people. And I think that both of us, Eleven D and Five Iron, have had the opportunity to sort of grow up with our audiences. And I think that's a really cool sort of thing. It sort of mirrors what our lives are like now, where it's like, yeah, we throw fun things in every now and then, but we have also kind of figured out how to have our own voices as adults and as artists and figured out ways to sort of express things that are really important to us. Things that aren't just a product of the culture that we grew up in. I do get you with that. But something that's at odds is when you said that your audience has grown up with you. But the actual sound of Fantasy League takes me back to the 80s. Like, you don't want to be current. That makes me so happy to hear you say that. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of the 80s influence that for a time felt really dated and sort of like, oh, if you want to say something new and fresh, maybe we shouldn't dress it up in like clothes that are already going to give people the signal that this is something older but I think there's so many cool things about the 80s and even the 70s. I know that like ELO is a huge band for both of us. Um, mm. And I know that Reese and Five Iron, he loves ELO too. That's something that we connect on. So I think that there's just a different, like watching people's different approaches to artistry and how they're interpreting their reality around them and how those things become the culture that shapes the next culture. I think those are incredibly fascinating and I would never for a minute want to throw out the super cool ideas that people came up with in the 80s, you know, especially so technologically constricted as they were in what they were creating. So yeah, I think when we look back on that as Fantasy League, those are some influences that we feel are very appropriate to lean into right now. Well, you know, talking about heading back in time, that's really the story of the song Old Haunts, you know, because you mm, realize that old yeah. people write songs like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool. So I am not the originator of most of the lyrics in Old Haunts. Uh, most of the time when Scott and I get together, he'll have like a pretty good outline of what things need to be. And some some of the lyrics may, might be placeholder. And then we'll kind of go through them together and maybe I'll give an anecdote or I'll say, hey, maybe we can say this in a stronger way. Mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly what contribution I might have had lyrically, but I do remember with that song, I thought Old Haunts in particular might be cool to sort of do this sort of Sugar Ray vibe 
from the 90s. <laughs> How does it feel growing older? Because you know something surprising about you is that you see you now, and I saw you back in the early days of 1170 going, is there any change in your appearance? <laughs> it's like the picture of Dorian Gray is happening, you know, here in our lives. You're not aging at all. 
I don't know if that's true. I think it might just be the because we're not on camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think if you zoom in, there's absolutely some crow's feet. There's some there's some aging to be seen there. Absolutely. But yeah, I think I enjoy getting older. Like I don't enjoy having chronic back pain all the time, <laughs> but I do enjoy the perspective of being able to look back on younger versions of myself and then to see that in other people and to feel like in some way I might be adequately prepared for a small subsect of people that I meet to be able to give them the encouragement that I didn't get as a child Mm -hmm. or to somehow make their struggles a little bit easier or give them some perspective or encouragement in a way that only somebody who had been through that situation could. So I really enjoy that facet of, of getting older for sure. If you could time warp and go back to yourself at a younger age, what kind of advice would you give? Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a really great question. Cause I, I feel like there's so much advice that I would want to give. And then I also know myself at a younger age and how resistant I would have been to any of that advice because I thought I had it figured out. Oh yeah. By the time you're 17, you have it all mapped out. Yeah, exactly. And when I was 17, it seemed like everything was kind of working for me. Like I was in a band and we were getting signed and we were getting put on a label and people were putting us on tour. It was a really cool time. And if you're the kind of person that's like sitting around and you've been praying for that kind of reality to happen for you mm -hmm. for a really long time and it all of a sudden happens, you just accept it and you think, oh, this must be like God's will or this must be a part of the plan or I'm somehow owed this or I deserve this. At this point in my life, I feel like none of that could be further from the truth. I feel like we got really lucky and we were very fortunate. We were in the right place at the right time. And there are so many incredible, incredible artists that I run into all the time that I'm like, oh, you actually have something to say. Like you have a viewpoint on the world and you have a really cool mastery of your instrument, of your voice, and no one is listening to you on Spotify, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. And it blows my mind. But I'm also not the gatekeeper of any of those things. I don't know why some things just hit and hit really hard, and some things that I feel like would be really important end up getting sort of kicked to the wayside. So I feel very fortunate to have lived the life that I have at this point. Well, you were talking about that, about being listened to on Spotify. Who's going to be listening to Fantasy League on Spotify? Oh my gosh. I mean, I hope anybody that's into super cool, possibly thought-provoking music. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think what drives a lot of the Spotify numbers right now are people that are pushing listeners to that from other platforms. So if you're not a top 40 artist on Spotify and you don't already have that those label machines sort of pushing people to you, you kind of have to find your niche and find the people that you're speaking to and it becomes really important. I think gone are the days where you can sort of be this mysterious person that people want to find out about. For most of the middle class musicians, it's like, no, you have to find a niche. You have to find the people that will resonate with what you have to say, with the sound that you have, 
and really direct your marketing to them. And that's me speaking as like a person who's worked with labels and kind of sees that side of the industry. And I understand that takes a lot of the joy out of <laughs> out of most people who are like, just feel like they happen upon the bands that they love the most. They're just like, oh, I discovered this band or a friend told me about it. That's how we all discovered music. But in, in this day and age, it's so infrequent that those things happen without a very calculated push to put that music in front of you. Well, I know that Fantasy League does have one benefit that you guys have both been in fairly well-known bands. So you could probably be drawing some of your fans from that into the new project. I mean, that's how I fell into Fantasy League. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. I think that there are Five Iron fans and Eleventy fans that that will love Fantasy League. And I love pointing people in our sphere to what Fantasy League is doing, for sure. You know, it's not Five Iron and it's not Eleventy. I feel like the Five Iron fans and the Eleventy fans in particular are so diehard. They're so into those bands in particular that when you're trying to show them something new or you, you have a different avenue that you want to express yourself in, I think that we're just a baby band at this point. We just put out our first full-length album. So we've yet to see how it's going to seed and how it's going to do. But when you're used to seeing somebody in a certain role, like most people are used to seeing Scott as being the bass player in Five Iron, but a lot of people probably don't know that Scott has a huge, huge role in writing a lot of the Five Iron songs and in producing their albums. He's an incredible producer in his own right. Maybe waking people up to the fact that like, there's so much more that's happening behind the scenes to create a Five Iron album or an Eleven D album. And maybe Fantasy League is a cool peek behind the scenes of the creativity in both of those bands. This is Matt Langston, and you are getting into the music of Fantasy League on The Antidote.
blind from Fantasy League's new self-titled release. As so many artists discovered during COVID, making music can be done so many different ways. Here's how it's done by Matt and Scott. We need to know about how you actually are creating the music. Like, you and Scott live in different parts of the States, right? Yeah, I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, and Scott lives in the only other place in America that I want to live in, (laughs) which would be Denver, Colorado, (laughs) because there's mountains there. And there's something about mountains like I don't know that I could live without them. It's for me, it's either like I live in North Carolina in the mountains, in Colorado in the mountains, or take a trip up to Alaska and I just never come back. (laughs) So are the two of you able to get together to create or is this all an internet kind of thing? Great question. So when Scott is sending me the original demos and stuff he's just shooting them over from colorado and maybe we'll make a few different plays you know in the studio send them back and forth a few times just like is the direction i'm taking this resonating with you what do you think about this but it's become so cheap in the states in particular and over the course of the album flights were insanely cheap from Colorado to North Carolina that Scott was able to come here for, I don't know, five, six different sessions for us to complete the album. Yeah. And I've been to Colorado a few times. I mean, I flew out to Colorado to make all the fast feeling records. It's a pretty easy trip to make. And it's only, I don't know, maybe like 150 bucks for a round trip ticket here. That's right, because Uh, you live in the States and we live in Canada where it would be triple that. Okay, so there, I was running off topic. So you were talking about you and Scott getting together in person. So that must make it a lot easier for you to say, Scott, that's a really crappy idea. (laughs) no 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 that you're you're absolutely right it would be funny if scott actually came up with crappy ideas but he's actually quite prolific and most of the ideas that he comes up with you know it's a it's a different thing it's so rare that anybody in the studio is going to say something like yeah that's an awful idea because that brings the mood down Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody's there to make something incredible and everybody's there to to sort of perk everyone else up. And you're trusting everybody else's sort of spirit in the room to be creative. Like the Japanese culture is really good about this in that there's so few times that they actually use their word for no. It's always sort of redirecting or evolving or moving the conversation along in some way. And that's how creativity works. And if you tell somebody, no, you have a bad idea, you make a judgment about it, it just like kills the creativity. But if you can figure out these really fun ways of like, oh yeah, that could be cool if we did this other thing, or that's a great idea. What would you think about it being done in this way? That keeps the creative ball rolling because the last thing that you want when you're writing or creating with other people is to to sort of push them down in the dirt because we all know how much emotional energy that it takes to be vulnerable with people about your creative ideas in the first place 
I always want to keep that positive energy rolling, especially in the studio, so that we can get to a place that we all feel really good about. Have you ever thought about going into politics? You know, because you could do that, just manipulate people and steer them in the direction that you want them to go. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, I, I have thought about politics before. I, um, I actually ran for office here at our home state. Did you? I did, because I thought it would be a fun experiment, a fun social experiment. I think that I'm far more interested in educating people on how to think than what to think. Mm -hmm. And so much of politics, especially in America, I, I would hope and pray that it's different for you guys in Canada. But in America, it's so much like it's so sensationalist. It's so here's what to think and here's why and here's why the, all the other guys are bad. That's not my vibe. That's not my intention at all. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I think there's ways that we can understand where everybody else is coming from and let's look at some data and figure out where to go from here in a way that would be equitable for everyone. Well, I think politically the entire world is going to the us versus them mentality, which is unfortunate. You're right. You're right. It's so sad to watch. <laughs> it's sad. So, you know, really, I can't figure you guys out how you actually find enough time to do Fantasy League. Because, I mean, you do, as you said, you're working with other artists every day. You know, Scott's busy with his job and with making music with Five Iron Frenzy. Why would you guys decide, okay, I just have to do a new project? Where does the free time come from? I think it's like sort of the same thing where you're like some people really enjoy running and some people enjoy swimming. If you have like a group of people that love running, not everybody in that group loves running as much as you do. Some people like swimming. And I feel like there's a whole other world of that in creativity where some people really enjoy writing, some people enjoy performing. Some people enjoy being the front man and some people enjoy being the pillar that holds the creativity up. I think that Scott and I hit this really great sweet spot. You know, it's incumbent upon me when I'm producing for other people to be the person that always has the best ideas, that knows what to do, that knows how to bring a song from demo to something that's radio ready. And... In Scott's world, you know, he's producing mostly for Five Iron and like doing all the things that he's doing in his job. And I love being able to have someone to collaborate with that I respect everything that they have to say and that I find their creative output really fun and inspiring. And I feel like we both have found that in each other. And so it, it doesn't feel like everything we've ever done in every other band. It feels like something kind of new and unique and like we've hit a really fun color that maybe we haven't painted with before with each other. And all of that comes out in Fantasy League. So we've been talking about creating music and there is a song on the new album on the Fantasy League debut, I guess, your self-titled in the song, You Will Run, does touch on making music. And the lyrics say, 
In my own eyes, I'm a composer scoring my greatest refrain, each note clanging like some cymbal, clamoring inside your brain. Now, I know that I'm taking this out of context, but really, is Fantasy League going to be your and Scott, your greatest refrain? Oh, man. I I wouldn't uh, propose to know what either of our greatest refrain in life would be. And Scott would be the person to talk to about any of this. But I, when I listened to that song and I was reading through those lyrics and seeing if there were any tweaks that I wanted to make, I thought that they were so incredibly beautiful. In my mind, I imagined him sort of talking to his children and trying really hard to relate to them and trying to figure out if if the best parts of himself, if he feels like he's able to translate those to his children or if in his effort to try to prepare them for the world, for the road ahead, for the journey ahead of them, that it all just kind of sounds like Charlie Brown's parents, <laughs> which I think is maybe <laughs> like every parent's greatest fear. I thought it was like a really compelling lyric to have written because I'm not a parent. I, I don't have children and I don't know, but I definitely understand that social dynamic of wanting so desperately to make sure that you can transfer the best parts of yourself and your best understanding of the world to your kids so that they can do better than you or not have to make the same mistakes that you did.
As we heard from Matt, You Will Run has quite a background story. Well, one thing for sure is Fantasy League has a lot to offer on their full length, so be sure to track down the entire album. Next time on The Antidote, we bring the Harlem Gospel Travelers in for a talk about Look Up, the band's 2022 album. Their sound comes from the roots of music, as they deliver songs that draw deeply from the gospel quartet style, that was so often heard in the 50s and 60s. This is way different from what's usually heard on The Antidote. You definitely want to tune in for this. I often hear about the evolution of an artist's faith during an interview. Scott and Matt's faith perspective has also changed, and in a dramatic way. Let's hear about that before we get into their song, Imaginary Lines. Thanks for listening, and come back again for the next installment of The Antidote. I want to get into something that's a little more personal. The early days of '77 had the band carrying that Christian band label, but you did eventually drop that, and then Scott Kerr no longer considers himself a Christian. Now, obviously, with this program, The Antidote, featuring Christian artists, you must have known I would bring this up. So has there been a change in your faith? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I talk about my faith and the challenges with that and what eventually led me out of Christianity a lot on my podcast, Eleventy Life. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to make a shameless plug for that at all. But I feel like it's an interesting conversation to have with people because I completely understand why people would stick with Christianity. There's so many parts of the Christianity that I grew up with that I find comforting and inspiring that lead a lot of the decisions that I make in my life now. Mm -hmm. But there's also this whole other side of it that specifically within American Protestant evangelicalism, Mm -hmm was incredibly toxic and was used to cover up so many egregious things in my life without getting into all of that because I know that you're a syndicated show and it's probably not the place to to air all of that. (laughs) Yeah, it was a very natural thing for me to exit Christianity. And I only say that in relation to what I've experienced with American Christianity in so much that I absolutely love the person of Jesus. I think that the Bible is this incredible piece of history, but there are things that we were taught about it here in the States that were not true and 
that are not verifiable and that fed into a culture that was really oppressive and damaging to us growing up. And so I think in our best attempts to be able to shed those things, to be able to point people in a better direction, um, I can't, like in good conscience, call myself within the area that I am now a Christian. But at the same time, I have a lot of Christian friends that I respect their journey. I respect where they are. I know that they did not have the same experiences within Christianity growing up with it that I did. And I don't feel like Scott and I are at all in a place where we are, you know, Christianity haters. I think that us exiting Christianity made us a lot more accepting and open to people of any faith and specifically people within Christianity, because even within Christianity, there's an entire swath. Oh, isn't there? You know, know, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so it it becomes a really difficult thing to say, like, well, no, I believe this at the expense of who? At the expense of other people within your religion and who decided that they could be in your religion and who decided that these people weren't. You know, I mean, anybody that's listening to this understands that it's an incredibly complicated situation. But I, I think that I'm doing my best to err on the side of being as magnanimous and understanding and supportive of everyone on their own journey because it's something different to grow up in a religion where you're taught what to believe and it's something different to become a whole person, to grow up and have your experiences in the world change and shape how you believe and how you view other people and make you a more empathetic person to understanding how people are and why people are and giving them that. And I can't think of anything more Christ-like than that. Than doing that a hundred percent. Couldn't agree with you more with that. Here's something else I've been wondering about. When you're doing Fantasy League, isn't it really just for yourselves? I feel like you phrased that to make Fantasy League be the most selfish thing that we could do. It could but be. I th- yeah, no, I think that I think that you might be right. But I I feel like maybe I wouldn't describe it necessarily as being selfish, but I would absolutely describe it as being like self-healing. You know, Scott and I don't have any illusions of grandeur. We've been in the music industry long enough to know that You know, there are some people that get lucky and some people that don't. We got lucky in the bands that we were in. It doesn't mean that we get lucky again. And the longer that you stay in this industry, you know that what actually keeps you in it is being able to create things and enjoy it in a healthy way and to not develop a toxic relationship with creativity. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Scott and I are at a point where we don't have a toxic relationship with creativity at least i am crossing my fingers that (laughs) that's not gonna happen i'm not a a soothsayer at all about that but we just love being able to work with each other and to be able to experience creativity in these ways and to elevate each other in these ways and so in that way it does feel like a, a sort of spiritual experience that you know, you walk away from it and you're like, oh, I'm really proud of this thing that I made. 
Mm-hmm. And that's all that we need. I don't think we need, you know, a million Spotify streams to to be happy with that. I think that we know what makes us happy and we know when we are creatively fulfilled as people and fantasy league has done that for us and i'm really grateful to the band (laughs) for that so tell me that there is a future for fantasy league like this isn't just a one-off release (laughs) again i'm not a i I need guarantees here matt guarantees (laughs) (laughs) I can guarantee you that Scott will continue to write. I will continue to write and that we will continue to have fun with each other creatively in the studio, uh, musically. I don't foresee fantasy league stopping, but I've just lived long enough to not, you know, place any definitives on anything. Yeah, it's it's far more likely that we'll have more Fantasy League than we will maybe fast-feeling stuff. So, <laughs> Matt Langston, one of the masterminds behind Fantasy League, has been with The Antidote. Matt, this has been a fun talk. Thanks for coming. Dave, you're the best. Thank you so much for having me on. 